Psalm 22. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me, so far from my cries of anguish? My God, I cry out by day, but you do not answer. By night, but I find no rest. Yet you are enthroned as the Holy One. You are the one Israel praises. In you our ancestors put their trust. They trusted and you delivered them. To you they cried out and were saved. In you they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their heads. He trusts in the Lord, they say. Let the Lord rescue him. Let him deliver him, since he delights in him. Yet you brought me out of the womb. You made me trust in you, even at my mother's breast. From birth I was cast on you. From my mother's womb you have been my God. Do not be far from me. For trouble is near, and there is no one to help. Many bulls surround me. Strong bulls of Bashan encircle me. Roaring lions that tear their prey open their mouths wide against me. I am poured out like water, and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It has melted within me. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd, and my tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircles me. They pierce my hands and my feet. All my bones are on display. People stare and gloat over me. They divide my clothes amongst them and cast lots for my garment. But you, Lord, do not be far from me. You are my strength. Come quickly to help me. Deliver me from the sword, my precious life from the power of the dogs. Rescue me from the mouths of the lions. Save me from the horns of the wild oxen. I will declare your name to my people. In the assembly, I will praise you. You who fear the Lord, praise him. And you descendants of Jacob, honour him. Revere him, all ye descendants of Israel. For he has not despised or scorned the suffering of the afflicted one. He has not hidden his face from him, but has listened to his cry for help. From you comes the theme of my praise in the great assembly. Before those who fear you, I will fulfil my vows. The poor will eat and be satisfied. Those who seek the Lord will praise him. May your hearts live forever. All the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord, and all the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord, and he rules over the nations. All the rich of the earth will feast and worship. All who go down to the dust will kneel before him. 
those who cannot keep themselves alive. Posterity will serve him. Future generations will be told about the Lord. They will proclaim his righteousness, declaring to a people yet unborn, he has done it. Hello, we'd like to look at Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is uh, quite a fascinating psalm because really uh, you can see such a prophetic edge coming through. There are so many very vivid, powerful descriptions of what it was like for the Lord Jesus on the cross. And uh, we will certainly come to that. But what I thought was important, first of all, is to see that in its original context, it's about David going through a particularly tough time. You know, we think of David uh, so easily as the great sort of conquering king and uh, enemies fall before him. And, uh, you know, he's successful, he's powerful and uh, lots of good things are happening. And uh, it's easy to forget that there were times of terrible struggle in David's life. I would imagine that he would look back to the boyhood days on the hills of Bethlehem with the sheep and uh, uh, probably was tempted to think uh, the lion and the bear were nothing compared to the Philistines, compared to King Saul hunting me, uh, compared to the mess I made with uh, Bathsheba, compared you know, he, he would have thought that, uh, oh, those days of sweet fellowship with God, those days of just appreciating, looking up at the stars and seeing the glory of God's creation, uh, those would have seen a very long time ago. And yet we know that despite all the challenges, David did retain an incredibly strong relationship with God in the main. And, uh, you know, he, he was able to draw upon God. He was able to draw upon God in times of uh, battle, in times of uh, facing the whole challenges with Saul, as we've said, even facing the death of Saul, which, uh, you know, you could have easily thought that he would be uh, almost excited because at last now he could be king. But he doesn't look at it that way at all. So David, a man of great passion, a man of great uh, integrity, uh, in so many ways, a man who inspired others to follow him. In this psalm, he's talking about a sense of feeling forsaken. He's uh, going through that uh, season, that time where he feels he's crying out by day and he's not getting an answer. And even in the night when he's trying to sleep, he's not getting an answer. And uh, he feels so... Uh, Inadequate in himself. I mean, this description, I'm a worm and not a man, uh, that's a very, very strange description for someone like David to give. But he's giving it because that's how he feels. He, he just feels so, so tiny, just so insignificant. And uh, he's really feeling lots of pressures. And uh, essentially, the, the psalm continues in this vein of uh, enemies gloating over him and uh, just just a time of, of great, great sadness, a time of really feeling the heat being turned up on him. You know, the pressures upon him are just quite colossal at this time. 
and uh, he is willing to record, look, this is how it felt. This was what it was like. And uh, we know, and uh, I believe Graham Jefferson last week said this, and uh, others commenting on the Psalms have spoken about the highs and the lows, the emotional sort of roller coaster of uh, feeling the power of God and enjoying God, and then suddenly, you know, descending to the depths and just wondering what is going on, what's this all about? I guess that, uh, you know, some of us have found uh, this lockdown easier to handle than others. I just share that I've not found it very easy at all. I don't think I've been quite in the level of despair that uh, David is describing here, but it certainly has been such an unusual time, such a different time. And uh, in times like this, there, there are situations where, you know, you've been perhaps crying to God about something, pouring your heart out to God about something, and maybe you haven't seen quite the breakthrough, certainly as quickly as you'd like. But this is a psalm to encourage us that in the midst of life, there is one who understands very well how we feel. And this is where we move to the statements in this psalm, which actually are wonderful descriptions of Jesus. Even Jesus on the cross is going to go through a range of emotions. And uh, although in the book of Hebrews, it says that he understands us, well, he understands us in life. He understands us in his ministry in the way that he reached out to the poor, in the way that he handled uh, the difficulties. But uh, it's in his suffering and in his death that perhaps he identifies with this uh, heaviness of heart, with this tremendous time of pressure that some of us can feel uh, and some of us perhaps are going through. Jesus really, really understands. Right at the beginning, we have words that uh, actually were spoken on the cross. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Now, I think we have to realise that when we sometimes feel God has forsaken us, uh, it's not actually the case. We feel like that, but uh, it isn't actually the case that, that the Lord is still there. And it's our mood, it's the circumstances different things compound to make us feel as if we're on our own, we're abandoned. But this is no illusion that's being quoted here. This isn't somebody having a bad day. This isn't something about sort of uh, strange emotions, highs and lows. What this is about is a genuine cry from our precious Saviour, the Lord Jesus Christ, who in this moment of time is experiencing God the Father forsaking him. This is happening. This is not a joke. This is not just, as I've said, a low moment. This is literally what it feels like for Jesus. He has been forsaken. And of course, we have the benefit of being able to look back and look back at the cross. The psalmist had no idea, probably, uh, the intensity with which they're depicting things, the, the graphicness of how they're depicting things. But the reality is, is that we understand that this literal experience of being utterly, utterly forsaken 
is because at this moment of time, Jesus is carrying our sin. He is receiving in his body on the tree all of the sins of the world. And in a way, you don't want to think about that. But just uh, recognise it's a range of sins. Sin is sin, whatever shape or form it takes. But uh, Jesus is dying for rapists who can be forgiven if they repent. He's, he's dying for uh, tyrants who've been responsible for the deaths of many. But if they truly repent, they can be saved. He's responsible for every sin, every vile imagination, every bad thought that's gone through our minds. Jesus is carrying our sin in this moment. As I've said, I don't think it's unduly helpful to try and explain that more, but just, just get a sense this isn't a light load. This is not something trivial in the slightest. This is absolutely awful. Uh, you can't put into words the horror of what's being experienced. Although I think there is just one description that helps us understand. The Bible talks about hell. The Bible talks about a place of destruction and fire. The Bible talks about a place of separation from God, a place of darkness, a place of weeping and sorrow, a place where the devil is heading for and where those who don't put their trust in Jesus as Saviour and Lord will also be heading for that place. That place that is so forsaken that you can never put into words adequately the desperateness of it, but it's for eternity. Now, you know, in my sense, in, in, in my flesh, as it were, there's no way that you like that. Uh, it's pretty horrifying to think that there are people who you love and know who've rejected Jesus who are heading for such a place. But uh, that's the reality. And it's always important to contrast the thoughts of uh, however can it be that a God of love allows people to enter this sense of being forsaken and lost, then you also have to ask the question, how can it be that a God of love should allow his precious son, who had no sin whatsoever, to become sin for us? I tell you, that is equally of uh, concern. That is equally challenging. God the perfect God who made heaven and earth, almighty God, subjected to the sins of the world being laid upon him. Truly in the old Easter hymn, hallelujah, what a saviour. Well, the psalmist goes on, I cry out by day, I cry by night, I find no rest. And this whole sense of uh, the psalmist, as I said, feeling like a worm and not a man, I don't know that Jesus actually felt that, of course. He, he truly knew who he was right up to the end because when he prays, Father, I commit into my hand your spirit, he, he knows who he is. And yet, although he didn't feel that, the way people were treating him, they were just like stamping on him. They were just treating him not as a human being with feelings and with emotions. You know, the, the rhetoric, the bitterness, the hatred, the, the words of condemnation, the whole mocking 
of uh, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross. I, I see that very much uh, depicted in this. But Jesus remained dignified. Jesus remained calm. Jesus did not curse those who were cursing him. In fact, we know the opposite. He prays, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Look at verse 7. All who see me mock me. They hurl insults, shaking their head. He trusts in the Lord. Let the Lord rescue him and deliver him. We've already been speaking about that. This, uh, this terrible moment when they're saying, if you're the son of God, come down from the cross, save yourself. And uh, the thieves at one point were together in unison saying, and save us too, if you're the son of God. Uh, these cruel mockings did not deter Jesus from going through with the suffering and pain that he was enduring. He, he didn't back out. He didn't sort of uh, do half a job. He did the full job. He hung on right until the end, until every sin was taken away. Every sin was covered. And, uh, well, again, uh, in verse 11, do not be far from me, for trouble is near. There's no one to help that, again, was such an incredibly strange, foreign situation for Jesus. Helpless. And uh, it's because he's submitting fully to the Father's will. No one to help. Well, no one could help. Because, you see, no one else can take away sin, only Jesus. No one else can take away the wrath of God, only Jesus. No one else can uh, defeat Satan, only Jesus. No one else can extinguish, as it were, the presence of hell for us. Only Jesus can do that. There's no one else to help. He's on his own. He has to go through this. He cannot uh, get the comfort and the support of anybody. He has to handle this alone. And it's good just to recognise when you feel alone in some of your struggles and when you feel abandoned and when you feel that uh, you're forsaken, when you feel that uh, no one cares, just know this, you are not alone. You are not alone. When you sit by that hospital bed watching a, a beloved uh, father, mother, friend, uh, going through their last moments. They have you, but Jesus is also there. Jesus is there when the blast in Beirut in the Lebanon goes up and the devastation. There is still the comfort of God. The presence of God can be found in such awful moments. And uh, whatever, whatever horrific situation you can think of, because Jesus died and because Jesus rose from the dead, you will never, ever be on your own. He is there with you. Sometimes, maybe even weeping with you, he will never leave you or forsake you if you call upon his name. It talks about these strong uh, bulls of Bashan. Many bulls surround me and circle me. 
roaring lions that uh, tear their prey, open their mouths wide against me. I've already talked about the opposition. I've already talked about the cursing. Uh, I've already talked about the uh, outpouring of vitriol that came from a number around the cross. And uh, it did just seem like raging bulls who are intent only on destruction. And uh, there are so many around with something to say, a verdict to give, a discussion to have. I mean, really, obviously, you know, we have had in our country, in the UK, uh, there have been public executions and so on, and people turn up to watch it. It's uh, understandable that loved ones want to be there, to be alongside their their uh, friend, their their relative, as long as they can. But there's loads of people who used to turn up at those things, just simply, almost to behave as if uh, something, you know, it's a spectacle, something to watch. But we know that that isn't the case. We know that this is a horrific event going on and uh, the strength of the opposition seems so great. Well, here's another phrase. I am poured out like water and all my bones are out of joint. My heart has turned to wax. It is melted within me. This is another powerful description of crucifixion and of what Jesus is enduring at this moment of time. We know that not one of his bones was broken and uh, that's important, scripture says that and uh, that was the case when they came to the two thieves it seems they were still just about alive so they broke their legs so that would end their lives quicker but they didn't do that to Jesus because he was already dead but certainly out of joint certainly hanging on a cross would have been agony and there would have been in the midst of all of that uh, there would have been uh, just a, a wrenching in the body and again one of the amazing things about all of this is that Jesus really understands pain that spiritual pain, as we've already hinted, when the sin of the world comes upon him and Father withdraws from him, that is far greater pain. And yet, you know, there are people over the years, one has met people who are in pain almost every day of their lives. They live, they live with pain. It can be all sorts of pains. Jesus understands. That's what these verses tell us, that uh, this sense of being poured out like water, this sense of uh, public humiliation, this sense of agony, this sense of being pulled around all over the body. Jesus understands. And it's really good to remember that. Again, when you watch loved ones go through times of great suffering, he truly understands. He's a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief. This phrase, my heart has turned to wax, it's melted within me. You know, there are people who who look at the cross, uh, medical people, and they've studied the effects of 
crucifixion and things like that. And uh, some have come up with the verdict that he died of a broken heart. Well, I believe that Jesus died because he, choose, he chose to give up his life. Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. That was when he died, when he said, the time has come, I'm ready. It's finished. I'm on my way. But uh, certainly the heart of Jesus, that heart of love and compassion, that heart that was willing to do the Father's will despite the tremendous cost, that heart is being deeply touched in this whole crucifixion, crucifixion experience. My mouth is dried up like a potsherd. My tongue sticks to the roof of my mouth. You lay me in the dust of death. Again, you know, familiar words. Jesus cried out, I thirst. And uh, remember that uh, all of what he's going through is inclined to make him thirsty. But, but just remember too, remember too that it, it's probably very hot and the temperature is uh, very, very challenging. Jesus understands all about these things. Dogs surround me. A pack of villains encircle me. They pierce my hands and feet. You know, what about that for a definition of crucifixion? The psalmist is talking about something he's never seen because crucifixion were, came in with the Romans. It wouldn't, they would have executed people, but this particular execution, uh, it was reserved, it was primarily a Roman punishment. And yet here's the psalmist, hundreds of years before that, depicting someone suffering, which is a very clear description of crucifixion. My bones are on display. They divide my clothes. How amazing is that? How did the psalmist know that? But of course it is exactly what happened. The soldiers uh, take the clothes and they have a game of dice to gamble for the clothes of Jesus, the special robe especially. Well, all of these things are going on. And, uh, well, the description, as I have shared, is incredibly graphic. But we know that Jesus is suffering, not because of any sin of his own, but he's suffering, in fact, because of our sin. And uh, we know that those who seek the Lord will praise him all the ends of the earth will remember and turn to the Lord. All the families of the nations will bow down before him. For dominion belongs to the Lord and he rules over all the nations. Paul writing to the Philippians says, At the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow. Every tongue confess that he is Lord to the glory of God the Father. The psalmist is watching, uh, describing this great suffering, this great sense of being abandoned and left alone. And yet there's also something of great victory on the horizon. We know that Jesus rose from the dead. We know that one day he will return. We know that one day indeed all the nations will have to acknowledge that he is Lord, whether they like it or not. And he will be the judge of all the earth. 
Today, as we just reflect on these words, as you go through this psalm, today is an opportunity to, first of all, recognise what Jesus went through for you and for me. And then it's an opportunity to also just recognise that he really does understand suffering. More than anybody, Jesus truly understands what it's like uh, to suffer and to go through agonies. He went through such and he is with you. If you're feeling forsaken today, if you're feeling abandoned today, if you feel there's a cloud over you that seems so oppressive, just know this, Jesus understands. There is nothing that you experience that he says, I haven't got a clue what that's like. He truly understands and he wants to be your comfort and your peace today. And above all, he wants to bring peace and joy into your heart and life as you trust in him who died for you. God bless you. Here is love vast as the ocean, loving kindness as the flood. When the prince of life, our ransom, shed for us his precious blood. May our Lord Jesus Christ himself and God our Father, who loved us 
and by his grace gave us eternal encouragement and good hope. Encourage your hearts and strengthen you in every good deed and word. Amen.